she had already done so much like to a degree that most clients would not do prep work of just being like, I am inspired by this that you do. This is how I interpret what you do by this. Like it was truly like such a flattering way to meet someone where I have, of course, had already known her public image, which is of course not the same as her private image. She came back with almost this like equal uh, reciprocation, which was so genuine and extremely like you could just see the time spent in her onboarding herself onto my work and all. And so when that happened, I was like, wow, you know, in this situation, it really just, it feels right. Welcome to the NFT Now podcast. Every Wednesday, we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you can be a part. I'm Sam Heisel. I'm Alejandro Navia. And I'm Matt Medved, and we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture. Welcome to the show. Matt, Ale, what's good? We out here, NFT Now podcast, glad to be back. Bro, que tal? It feels so phenomenal to be here, bro. It's just really awesome. Who do we have on today, Sam? Man, we got Blake Catherine, true legend in the space. She's an incredible artist, brought forth a, a bunch of a really beautiful, inspiring, awe-inspiring artwork prior to releasing NFTs and really unleashing a lot of her own creative vision through her NFTs. She was a, a very well-esteemed visual artist that worked in an agency capacity for a lot of incredible brands from New York Times to Instagram, to Skrillex, to Adidas. So she's been building up this skill set of 3D design and, and digital art for a while and NFTs. NFTs have really unleashed her ability to create for herself and for her audience. So it was really incredible in today's conversation, getting to speak how she got into this space, how she goes about approaching the strategy of being an NFT artist, how often to drop, how many, what, what sort of scarcity or supply. So I think it was really grateful to have an artist perspective on this uh, this week's episode with Blake. What stood out to you, Matt? Yeah, no, absolutely. All of that. And you know, it was great to get the inside look at, at that major, major Paris Hilton collaboration you know, that really set a bar for talent entering the space and, you know, it was done really well. And it was great to get her perspective there. And I loved hearing a little bit about her creative process because I've always been a fan of her art. So dreamy and, you know, like, and like otherworldly and just hearing a bit about how she takes that, you know, channels inspiration and, and, and arrives at that output was really cool to hear. Uh, Ale, how about yourself? Man, I think like for me, it's just, uh, as you guys know, I'm incredibly passionate about mental health in this space. And so like getting to address it with uh, Blake is we had this instance where at our, our Basel installation, with Christie's, she was one of the artists that we were showcasing. And she came up to me and she was like, Hey, dude, like I'm having some mental health aspects come up and arise. And she was very honest. And that always stood out to me. And so her being a beacon and a pillar in the space, I wanted to open up that, that question to her and that her responses were just on point. I think everybody should definitely listen on that front to take care of what's really important. Yeah, 1000%. Well, really excited. Have an incredible conversation to dive into. One quick thing before we do, just want to ask if you're enjoying the show, if you'd leave a review, wherever you listen to this podcast, reviews help us know what we're doing well, what we can do better, as well as help get the show in front of other people that are trying to get on board and learn about the space. So if you got a couple of minutes, mean a lot for us, but uh, there you have it. Without any further ado, Blake Catherine. Blake, welcome to the NFT Now podcast. So glad to have you here. Yo, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I miss hanging out in real life. This is a treat. I know, I know. The next best thing, right? Very uh, close. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, why don't we kick things off? Um, for those listeners who maybe are just getting to know you, why don't you just tell a little bit about your backstory and how you got into NFTs? Yeah, sure. So my name is Blake, uh, Blake Catherine, formally, and I have been a digital artist uh, since beginning my journey, uh, the mid-2010s. Uh, before that, I studied graphic design. Um, I'm a born and raised Florida baby. I went to the University of Florida because my parents were like, study whatever you want, but it's public school, damn it. And so, and so I went to UF and did their graphic design program and oil painting. And uh, from there, I moved to New York City and thought I wanted to be some like madman, ad queen, etc. And realized that was just so soul draining for me um, because I wasn't that gifted in that medium. It was a lot more of a different mindset in the artist's realm for me. And so I started experimenting in my like moonlit hours while kind of permalancing and freelancing at various tech places. Uh, and was able to take the dive within six months of learning 3D to just somehow, thanks to how social media algorithms used to be so generous, um, to get client work, uh, even as a rookie. And so from about 2016 onward, I've been a full-time digital artist and it's just been more and more into finding my independence. And today I do a lot of personal studies and collections and series and the very, very, very occasional short film where it's me being able to work as either myself and do my own creative vision or hire very close colleagues and friends who, you know, enhance the project through their own unique skills and create more grandiose works. And so it's been a wild ride and I'm super excited to keep seeing whatever year brings. And I know we're definitely obviously giving this the NFT Now podcast because it talked about lots of NFTs. But before we get there, do kind of just want to go a little deeper into your journey as kind of a on the, the client side and doing the agency work. I know you've worked with a very impressive set of different brands and artists, be it GQ, Columbia, Lil Nas X, list goes on. Like, are you still doing agency work? How are you balancing mm-hmm. that as, as a artist, as well as, as somebody that's worked with all these incredible brands? Uh, thank you. Um, yeah. You know, a uh, shout out to the folks that really helped me. Cause I, when I first started, I was completely independent and there reached a point for me where I was so frantic. And this was back when GPUs were weak. Everything that I rendered for clients took two to three days, even if it was like a still and it had generous global illumination, like it was a hot mess. And I I think it was early 2017 or maybe late 2016 that I realized I was emailing more than I was working, which as an artist is super detrimental, especially if you're like me and you really require eight hours of sleep. Props to folks who don't, I do. And so it was a thing where I reached out to this local agency agency, we had already had coffee and known each other for about half a year, uh, H plus creative. And they were able to take that business side from me so that I could actually start working with all these brands I wanted to work with instead of negotiating and only maybe 25 to 30% panning through on a good season. And so once that happened, I, I think the first project they brought to me was Adidas. And you would think with an agency and a rep that, oh, everything's solved now. I'll get the timelines I want or the budgets I want. And it's like, budgets usually kind of sometimes, except for the music industry, love you, but you're not rich. And, uh, but deadlines never. And so my first project with them was like a month or two into signing. And it was like, Hey, Adidas wants you to do whatever you want with these like cool streetwear photos, like with your environments, but it's doing like 48 to 72 hours. And I was like, uh. 
And so it was about eight hours of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh no, because rendering wasn't easy then. So I was like, I get to sleep when it renders. This is great. (laughs) But um, (laughs) but it was a thing where that was just the tip of the iceberg. And since then, um, and you know, I bring work into them sometimes, they'll throw things to me that I'll say yes or no to. But even now we're looking at, I'm almost at my max for the first half of the year for projects lined up on the client side, because I do say no more now. And I make sure it's the right kind of project. And with an exception to only one or two projects in the past, um, I always make sure that I will be credited if I love the work as well. There are exceptions sometimes where it's just a dream name that you want on your website and you agree to rules you don't like. But for the most part, it's been really good artists and brand partnerships or client partnerships because you know you become you build this resume of sharing these works, whether it's through a formal website, through various social outlets, etc. And you're going to get hired for that if you it doesn't even matter if you're consistent or not, if you show the craftsmanship, the technical skills, and the polish. And luckily that's kind of been how it is for me. So I would say I'm about 40% client now and 60% personal. I love that. No, it's an incredible journey. And I'm curious too, now that like over time, I'm I'm sure the that's kind of worked more in your favor recently with the launch and rise of NFTs. So how has it been um, doing original creations as NFTs instead of client work? Like how is that liberating from a creative perspective? It is. And, uh, you know, I'm sure so many artists have said this, tweeted this today, everything, which is like, it sucks to be a slave to an algorithm or to a platform, etc. And uh, a lot of those are not small business or creator friendly, because most creators are small businesses when you think of it in a very layman's like financial terms kind of vibe. And uh, with those being so kind of ad only, promote your stuff only, play to our rules. A lot of folks, myself included, uh, before NFTs were starting to not necessarily in my situation see a dip in work, but to see a dip in interest. And that was really concerning because then it's like, what happens? Is a drought coming? Like, how will I be secure? And when you're thinking of that, it's really hard to devote your free time to wanting to create. You know, you're thinking of that next thing and hustle instead of the crafts and the passion that brought you on the journey in the first place. So once I... And I very much didn't know much about it. I, I started, I think I'm into my first work on Super Rare, September 2020. And it was very much an experiment of just being like, it seems reputable. It seems like if it doesn't sell, I didn't get anything hurt, you know, like it's fine. Like I'm not selling my soul or rights or anything where I'm going to regret this. And when I, that was just, again, just the beginning, like the cusp of everything where then I realized, oh, I can fund my own projects. And I almost like when you are in that more project management mindset, it's like I can allocate X amount of time a day or a week or over the course of months to put out this work and I have a safety net, you know, it's not a loss. It's not posting on an Instagram, it bombing or Tumblr, which RIP, I used to love Tumblr. Um, And then it not getting you any visibility or getting you that next project. So now it's not about the next project. It's how do I level up from my previous works? How do I keep building the skills? And it really reignited like a passion for me to make better work and do quality over quantity because it kind of made the point of quantity extinct for myself, at least, you know, it it was no longer, I need to post every day or every couple days, or I have to repost old works because I'm busy right now. It's like, no, like I can treat myself more like an artist and go into my cave and come out with new work. 
And that's really wonderful. I, lo- I love that visual of going into the cave. You know, it's like it, remind, it reminds me. I don't know if you read it, but it reminds me of uh, Paul Graham's uh, like essay on the manager versus the creator, like the yes. manager. Like, yeah. So, like, I, I love that perspective of like, hey, I'm I'm an artist, and I'm going to honor that. And I love the way mm-hmm. that you that you really touch base on it. And it's like to so many of our audience members, like Blake, speaking of Tumblr and all these other platforms that were. Before the whole boom NFT boom, that's how our artists were sharing their work. And so on that point, how have you been able to build your audience, your community, your collectors to support your art? I mean, it's a double-edged sword because there was, uh, I always assume folks noticed it about a year to today, uh, that um, a lot of creatives found out about that there are a range of ethical practices in NFTs, just like in the real art world, you know, art theft, uh, how much energy is being used, which is a real concern and all of that. And uh, there was kind of a civil war on Twitter because I was big on Twitter, not popular, but just very active on it well before NFTs. And I think like, God, what was it? Like 800 people blocked me just from being a part of NFTs. Cause I looked it up. Someone gave me like a sketchy Chinese website and I like put in my info and I was like, wow, 800, <laughs> look at me being hated so well. But, um, but it was a thing where it wasn't all praise, even though, you know, I have seen myself do well and I am on the more privileged side, but I've seen so many indie artists and artists that come from countries where they were almost ostracized for artistic opportunities because they couldn't afford to travel to some big cities for galleries or expositions or in-person networking. Cause you know, this kind of started before or in the middle of COVID, but when we still had hope <laughs> and uh, it was uh, just a thing where it was such a double-edged sword because there was so much love in the community itself, but there was so much hate for folks who either had the knowledge of the time, which was misconstrued, and now even continue to perpetuate that. And so, you know, for myself, like, it's been amazing. And for so many other artists, I absolutely adore them. Uh, But it wasn't easy to build the community because there was such a divisive nature between the creators. And when it came to starting to release collections and being more about scarcity, that was when I found my balance. And that was when the community came uh, to be more organic. You know, I had people into my uh, DMs, whether it's Twitter and Instagram or on Discord, or even now through a very indie Discord server I run, where we have a very like knowing group. And there are people in there too that don't totally love NFTs, but they still want to be a part of sharing the work and being a part of the like creative essence that it's kind of encouraged and fostered and it's navigating the sea until it is a more green situation because it does need to improve in its energy use um but also in educating others and being like hey you know don't join now but it'd be amazing to see you have this opportunity too when it morally aligns with you on a more legit level so yeah it's there's no really easy answer to how to build it or how to do it it's really just me trying to be transparent and me being like hey maybe i'm not an angel, maybe I'm not a devil. Like, let's keep chatting though, because I love your work or I love what you collect. And I want to keep having these person, like in-person conversations. And it's just created more close acquaintances digitally, as well as just a more expanded kind of verse where I'm also not in a bubble. You know, I see all the perspectives every day and there are folks that are super into it, hodl, blah, blah, blah. And then there are folks who are like, I'm keeping my eye on it, but I'm not ready yet. Makes total sense. And, you know, speaking of scarcity, I think it kind 
kind of brings up the idea of like release strategy, which is one of the areas that like we find rising artists are often, or like people who are new to the space are always have some, you know, some of the most questions around. And, you know, yeah. you obviously have a, you've got, you know, an incredible, um, you know, uh, track record now in the space. And so um, how, as an artist, how do you sort of think about release strategy? Like, what do you think is a good cadence for artists to drop their original pieces? How should they think about pricing them and limiting supply when they're getting started? Yeah, no, I mean, pricing is very personal. So I'll do my best to answer what works for me on that at the end. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but when it comes to quantity, you know, um, I'm someone who hasn't done a PFP project. You know, I've collaborated in the past with like party DJs on like small assets and things. But even then they were usually rare assets because I was like, I don't want myself to be diluted. Um, it's just not my vision for myself. And also because I have had uh, very dear colleagues uh, that have done those projects where they are, even if they're not PFPs, but additions of 100 or this or that, and they're kind of generative or they're kind of customized, et cetera, where there's such an expectation on, okay, well, now you've done this. Now you have a second job and that second job is providing value or this or that. And it's in a more, um, in my opinion, a much more right brain or sorry, left brain, like logical sense. So when you collect art in that matter, for me, I, and I don't disagree with it. There are, you know, even secret channels of my discord for folks who holds like past specific works, et cetera. But it is much more of like, I am treating it like you are a patron and I will provide value with you by continuing to upgrade myself and to not dishonor, you know, by releasing a thousand of something that's below par or anything in that matter. But relying on my new rule is 20 to 25 maximum additions. And even if that happens, like, two times a year, like, you know, like don't overdo it in the sense of, and that doesn't mean like only two works, but like in two collections a year kind of vibe. Cause at the end of the day, if this is the beginning, that's a ton of artwork. If this is a 10 year plan or a 20 year plan, like you have to kind of think of it outside, you know, if you believe in it, like I do, you have to think of it outside of just now and, Oh, how's the stock market doing today? Oh, ETH is down. What do I try to shill or this or that. And it's like, you have to think of it in a much more, um, I think, uh, optimistic point of view. Uh, and as for pricing, I try to avoid it like the devil. I'll do. <laughs> I love auctions. I love ranked auctions, silent auctions, anything like that. Um, or even honestly, sometimes I'll create a work and I'm just like, uh, I don't know what to price it. I love it. I'm just going to gift it to someone because it's like, I want it to be out there, but it's, it's not right for me to figure out a value on it. Cause I think at the end of the day, the person who connects with it should determine that value. And there are situations, uh, you know, such as uh, two of the shows I was in at Art Basel, uh, one of which was y'all's, um, that you do have to give a minimum because that's the rule. And I just, Literally, I spend like more time thinking of a minimum than I do on the art, probably. I hate it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you can always change your price, but never price yourself too low off the bat for folks who are insecure. Like, unless you're you really like numerology. Do you like in, in your in your in your pricing? Do you use numerology? Because I I've noticed a few pricings where I'm just like, yo, Blake, what are you getting into, girl? What's up? <laughs> I I do sometimes like like I have a favorite number two or a favorite combo of numbers, and I will sometimes have fun with that. Uh, but I also do avoid the uh the tech bro numerology, which is like four twenty sixty nine, and it's like we're not doing <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not doing that today. 
So, you saying uh, you would turn like, down our, our four, 20, uh, 0.69 ETH offer? <laughs> no, I'm good. Hell no. But would it be my <laughs> You can give that to me any day. Yeah. I accept donations year round. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, but there was like a, I forget who, but there was like a case study that was like, oh, like in the Ethereum space, if you end it with 420 or started with that or 69, like it sells quicker because it's like, and I'm like, this is such a like, yeah. like a frat boy, like mindset. And it's hilarious, but it's also like, okay, not for me. For sure, for sure, for <laughs> sure, man. That's uh yeah, part of the the culture too. I think it's interesting as we have to be intentional about sculpting and molding the culture, making sure it is inclusive. Like, let's not look past the fact that there still is this very prevalent frat lack of frat culture lack of diversity so i think that's a it's important for us to all be aware of and really make sure that we're collectively as as a community as builders in the space really trying to to foster that that more diverse community um in that vein and and this just goes generally speaking for emerging artists but i'm curious what you think are some of the challenges that we need to foster or excuse me what are some of the challenges that we need to address as a community in order to foster more uh, more prosperity for emerging artists Yeah. I mean, you know, anytime asked this, I first want to like do the devil's advocate, which is I see a lot of tweets um, always very obviously from most likely a white dude, which are, oh, we're in Web3. We're all anonymous. It's great. And it's like, yeah, it's really great for you. Like (laughs) you're doing very well. But um, there is this... um, just background blessing that you're kind of given depending on your demographic and not, you know, there are plenty of folks who suffer that are also in that demographic too, but as a stereotype, because stereotypes are born usually out of some reason off the bat. And so with that, uh, you know, I I remember Carson um, did an amazing Twitter thread that was like, it's not about folks being, you know, anti-sexist, anti-racist, this or that, because people are like, oh, I'm not sexist or I'm not racist or I'm not this or that. But it's about actually showing up and uh, trying to advocate and support for those folks. It is super easy to look at a blue chip artist and retweet them every damn day, like them every damn day, blow them the hell up. It is much more challenging, in my opinion, in the future, again, thinking that this is a decade, two decades, et cetera, before the next evolutionary step in art comes, that be on the cusp, find these indie artists that are absolutely killing it. And when it comes to including diversity, whether, you know, it's your sexuality, your ethnicity, your gender, all of the above, is you're going to be dissecting and digesting and critiquing art that has a background and perspective you never thought of before and or that never occurred to you. And I think it stirs more communication and more interest and uplifting in the space because it doesn't make it one note. It doesn't make it like, you know, some folks, a great example, in my opinion, is if you go to your Instagram discover page, like a lot of times, if you only look at art, for me, it's all cats. So it's a little different. But if you only look at art, like you will have a genre on your discover page and it's not by people you follow, but it's inspired off that. And if all the art looks the same, you're really into a specific genre or trend, you know, worst case. But when you diversify those artists you're following, when you choose to engage with their work, you don't have to buy it. You can like it, you can share it. You can like 
do an interview or something like that with these folks, then all of a sudden you start seeing so much more that like widens your own appreciation for the various mediums in the artistic world. And so, you know, at the bare minimum, I think it's everyone doing the homework of uplifting folks of different backgrounds, uh, perspectives, upbringings, doing that, you know, if you're going to retweet someone blue chip or someone who is very profitable and well in the space, maybe that same day you honor yourself and do one to two that aren't. And then that doesn't mean you're putting your wallet out or anything like that, though ideally through that shared engagement and through that increased visibility for these artists, that's what will happen to them. I I collected from a concept artist uh, right after I got my shit re-secured because I was an idiot and got hacked over fall. And I remember only seeing their artwork because someone retweeted it being like, all these people are buying the same kind of art and it was on a certain platform. And uh, they were like, but my artist friend is like amazing. And they just posted these. I was like, this is 0.3 Ethereum buying the shit now. And I like bought it off that one retweet that was posted like an hour previously. And it's just having it be more exposed and evening that playing field. Because even in the fine art world, it is usually male dominated since, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And uh, usually white or very European. And so it's just uh, playing catch up because just because the medium moved from physical to, I guess, now we're in a digital world, uh, we're still <laughs> perpetuating off of that. I love the digital. I think yeah, you know. <laughs> Now, you hit some really strong points, and I think that you're addressing them in a very eloquent way around diversity, inclusion, and really about bringing up the emerging artists and raising mm-hmm. them. And, you know, um, over the weekend, I it's similar to you, a, a retweet introduced me to an amazing photographer, and I literally just hopped on it to spoke the, the picture to, uh, spoke to me. It's like retweets do change lives. Absolutely. I, 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 you know, and, and I love that you're so heads into it. You know, you you were mentioning the conversation around art and artists and specific genres and specific aesthetics, you know, like, like, I, I'd love to transition over to speaking to a little bit more about your art. And like, you have an incredible signature, which is a really unique aesthetic. And to some, um, if you haven't seen her art, it's very dreamy, very dreamlike, very... I want to call it Garden of Eden type style. Like you're walking into <laughs> this, like very much this very incredibly beautiful and divine aesthetic. Thank you. Where do where do you draw your inspiration? What does that look like? Do you like what does that look like? Yeah, what's that journey? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I uh, thank God I moved to LA because I'm a total cinephile <laughs> and uh, a cinema. I have no talent with a camera, with film, any of that. Uh, my 3D journey even started because I wanted to do photography, and it was when I still lived in a small apartment in New York, and I was like, I'm too poor and tiny for this, so I can't do it. And that's what taught me how to do CG or 3D art because it was oh the canvas is unlimited, aka to my text decks. And uh, with that, that inspiration though never died. Um, You know, I grew up every single night, I think my family and I would watch a movie or a TV show or this or that. Like I was very media embedded. All my memories of like my earliest memories of me with my three other siblings were watching Saturday morning cartoons and fighting over which show we were going to watch next. And that love just expanded. Uh, And as I, you know, uh, I remember graduating high school And one of my mindsets was, I don't know if I have like taste. And what I meant by that was, I don't know if I like things because they're popular or if I like them because I like them. And so through college and 
learning art history and taking more electives that kind of widened my understanding of critiquing works and understanding them and dissecting them more thoroughly, I developed a huge preference towards um, very certain styles of film and mostly ones where there's an amazing DP or cinematographer. And that just slowly infused itself into my bones where I was like, I love these works. Like Wong Kar Wai is one of my favorites. And for some reason, half his movies have like Spanish soundtracks, even though it's in Hong Kong and it's all this like insane, like multi cultural fusion of nostalgia of things you've never felt before, which I think is really strong. And so when I create works, I try to think of what is something that gives me a yearning, but it's a yearning for something I never experienced. And that's always kind of been my, my hope with a lot of my pieces. And unless of course it's a technical study, but all artists have their one-offs. Um, and outside of that, you know, I've also was an extremely introverted, mega shy, I used to have anxiety attacks, even trying to give a presentation in school. And I loved escaping to video games and to my, I, you know, I was big on AIM and MSN chat and all that shit. And I feel like that just became a fluid first onboarding step to me becoming into the digital medium because it was me already appreciating the world that was digital and 3D and pixelated and then fusing in these exterior influences. Um, again, one last note is architecture because I everywhere I've moved, like if I do take photos, which again are awful. Um, <laughs> I do uh, take them of buildings, like almost all my travel photos. I'm lucky if I get a shot of myself. It's always of different buildings of an interesting sign or this or that. And it later inspires, you know, sketchbook notes of a narrative or a story that could be connected to that and translated into something more surreal. I love that. I love that. Thank um, you. Yeah, I know. It's really cool to hear, um, you know, the sort of the journey for you and because, uh, you know, a lot of many, many just see the, the end product. And uh, so thank you for, for providing kind of that, uh, that glimpse behind the behind the scenes you know behind the veil a little bit i appreciate um, it <laughs> of course of course and you know last year um you had a pretty high profile collaboration um, yeah. with, uh, <laughs> some people may, may have heard of it in the space right <laughs> with uh with with paris hilton and um you know you know a year you know uh however many months removed from that it's still often regarded as one of like one of the case studies in in how a celebrity did things right by entering the space in a credible way. Um, so I just wanted to get your perspective on you know what was that collaboration like? Um, yeah. what was working with her like, and and what do you feel if you do feel that she, she did right in terms of like entering the space credibly? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, as someone who was raised off a lot of TV, um, I did definitely, especially my early college years, watch uh, all the reality shows. That was near the ending of Simple Life, beginning of Kardashians. But regardless, it was that golden age of just like the mega presence. Like same with growing up during the Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears era, like pop culture, especially for influential young women like myself, or at the time, even girls, was so integrated into you, whether you cared about that person or not, because it was just showing how a powerful chick can just say F the system and do her own thing and usually get negative or susceptible you know, susceptible uh, press to it. And so when the collaboration opportunity came around, you know, we talked a bit and at the time the timeline didn't work and then a few weeks passed and then it did. And what really changed my mind, uh, not that it changed my mind, but what really made me reshuffle my schedule because I really wanted to do it after marinating on it a week or so was that she had already done 
so much, like to a degree that most clients would not do um, prep work of just being like, I am inspired by this that you do. This is how I interpret what you do by this. Like it was truly like such a flattering way to meet someone where I have, of course, had already known her public image, which is, of course, not the same as her private image. And she came back with almost this like equal uh, reciprocation, which was so genuine and extremely like you could just see the time spent and her onboarding herself onto my work and all. And so when that happened, I was like, wow, you know, in this situation, it really just, it feels right. Like the personality connection is there. We're talking loosely. It's not awkward or formal or stiff. It's very casual. Way too many emojis are used on both parties. And so we started this couple of month conversation where it's like, okay, like, we're going to start in a way because when you work with people of different mediums, usually both mediums will hold your hand. Like if, if I work with a musician, they'll kind of walk me through their mental process. If a musician works with me, I'll walk them through my visual process. And so we kind of started that way where it's like, let's think of these things and let's create a narrative or a story. And, uh, Similar to, I think, how someone had said earlier, where my work can kind of be escapist, uh, she has a lot of a background where escapism really helped her. And we leaned into that. And some, like, I, in hindsight, I need to start time lapsing my work because I would have loved to share more process because there was certain routes where we're like, mm, this is like, pretty, but it's not right. Like it doesn't tell the story. Right. Like uh, one of the examples is we have a hummingbird in one of the pieces. And at first we were like, nah, like animals can be done really poorly, especially in the 3d medium. And I, I don't want it to look uncanny Valley because that's something in my opinion that will look very dated if it's not done on purpose in the future. Cause it's different if it's done purposefully. Um, and then we went into like, no, we can do this. And I was like, all right, let's try like a rabbit. Cause that's like pure and cute. And then she's like, ah, rabbit doesn't mean anything to me. And she's like, every time I go to Palm Springs, like my grandmother and I would look at the hummingbirds. And when she passed, like she saw a hummingbird and we're like, well, now we have to do that. And so it was cool to go through these different narratives where it's like the story kept coming out of the process over the months that we worked together. Um, so it was truly such a great job. And, you know, I believe whale shark was her mentor and, or is, I don't know, but, um, he did such an amazing job where she was able to articulate the space quite well. Clubhouse was in a type then, and she was very passionate about it. And then, you know, she uplifted a lot of other artists and indie artists during that time too. And so I think it was just something where if you are genuine, it's shown because you put in the effort when you really connect with something. No, I absolutely love that. And I think, it, I mean, it's interesting because in the NFT world, it's like, uh, even if you have talent or are a big celebrity outside of it, you're starting from scratch. In Web you State. are. Like you mm -hmm. really got to earn those stripes. Um, and I think she did a fantastic job and I appreciate you sharing that story. Thank I you. guess what, one other thing to speak to is that, that often gets overlooked yet is critically important in the space. It's just the notion of like wallet security, hacking. I think in real time, we're navigating what is a very challenging user experience um, where there's not necessarily lots of guardrails or safety protocols. So the, yeah. it, it can be easy to fall into like tough scenarios. And I, I think, um, can you speak a little bit about the experience that you unfortunately had to go through and what are some of the lessons you've learned um, as it pertains to being kind of safe and secure 
when in Web3? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first part of the experience was easy. I was asleep. <laughs> it all happened. And I woke up and I was like, oh, no. At first, honestly, I was kind of relieved when I woke up because at first it's like, there's no reason people are reaching out unless someone like did something terrible, like perished or something. And I was like, everyone's alive. This is like <laughs> the step one. This is good. But um, it was a thing where I had had almost all of my currencies, like pretty much all of it in cold wallets. I was very naive and did not realize you should also put your NFTs on wallets. <laughs> and so it was just on a hot one and woohoo. And that week was very odd. Um, and even my partner, who's quite tech savvy, and I have tried to figure it out because we, we moved. It was two days into moving to a brand new place, reset up routers, all of that jazz. And maybe it's the weirdest timing on the planet, but nothing else makes sense is hours before the hack, before I went to bed, like later in the day, that day before uh, my Gmail started deleting itself and then started doing all these things where I was also on a hotline with Gmail and they're like, well, we can't see anything on our end. So I should have at that point done something smart, like cleared my computer, like clearly someone got into my computer somehow. And so it was a really surreal case where I didn't download anything. I didn't click any links. Like I know that 5,000%. It somehow through God knows how, um, it just, my computer became compromised and then everything on the hot wallets was gone and the cold wallets were obviously not plugged in. And so that was all fine. And so when that ended, what I did was I never, ever even attempted to log into that hot wallet again. I was like, "Mm -mm, it's dead to me. I don't care. Um, and I then reset up a hot wallet, transferred it to a cold. All my colds were safe. I renamed them and refreshed some details and then did the dummy MetaMask, which I should have always done. And so for anyone who doesn't do it, like literally just Google creating a dummy MetaMask, like, and that should give you an amazing resource of YouTube tutorials to go through it. And then I had sweet enough colleagues who are much more savvy in the space than triple check that my tech was secured on all levels. And the only way it could be more secured is if I memorized my seed phrase. So work in progress, but also God forbid I get amnesia one day, that's not going to work out. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but um, at the end of the day, you know, everything should be on your cold. Uh, I learned that the hard way and it's annoying and it takes extra steps, but it's worth it. And you're never going to have to go to bed being like, oh, will I wake up and have 86 NFTs stolen? Probably not. And I guess one other thing too, and I totally agree, it's, it's rough and slippery slope. I'm curious, even Matt and Ale too, what are some other things that you've learned? Just because even just the notion of like connecting your wallet to a lot of these different sites where you're minting on mm. third-party sites, like says like only do it on sites you trust, but like how much can you trust every single project you learn about on Twitter? Yeah, man, yeah. That's, a, that's a really good point. And I think like it steps as like simple as going to, back to like disconnected like connected yep. sites and then disconnecting and deleting those sites that you kind of like those free airdrops that we kind of flip into uniswap and then we just swap them into ETH right away like those contracts are still compromised I, I i always say like also like give time time right like i think like the the most secure thing is time and it's mm-hmm. also like 
when somebody airdrops or a new collection or something along those lines, the best way is to kind of give yourself two, three days. Yeah, you may have to pay a little bit more. You may have to like, there may be a floor. You may miss out on an opportunity, but your wallet may not be compromised. Yeah. Right. And I think like in the long term of that, I, I usually take my grandfather's advice that he gave me. And he said, it's like, sleep on everything. Like before you make a major purchase or anything along those lines, sleep on it to like 24 hours. Like even with the looks, for example, the, the drops happening, the airdrop today. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to wait. I want to see what this looks like. I want to see what the community support is like, things of that nature. Uh, Blake touched on it really, really strongly. Cold wallets are the way to go. Like I have like two or three at my desk, like all, yep. at all time. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, you know what, the seed for, to your point on seed phrases, they sell these uh, aluminum cases. Yes, I yeah. got one. And those are really awesome. So aluminum is like, you can't, it, it doesn't deteriorate, it doesn't go away. Like, it, you know, it's like, they look like either cassettes or these little singular tubes that are really dope. They look, almost look like lipsticks. I highly recommend those. And when in doubt, throw it out. Really, like when in doubt, like even if you have like a small inkling of something, don't click on it. Don't, don't even even if it's a free NFT on your OpenSea, if somebody sends you a free NFT, don't open it. Don't nope. click on it. That's not. There's no yeah, such. Don't there's, yeah, like there's no such thing as a free lunch. You know what I mean? This <laughs> yeah. is like, like the free NFT is like the the fishing of the early '90s of the clicking on the ad. You know what I mean? Like, like that's like it's coming back in different ways. Uh, Matt, do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah. The other thing I think is, um, you know, uh, I think those are all like really good points um, too. like to Sam's point, like when you want to mint a new project and the like, like I know a lot of people and I, I, I want to get better at doing this too. It's just creating a minting wallet, you know, like mm-hmm. create a new hot wallet that has some ETH on it. Use that to mint versus using your hot wallet that has NFTs or anything of value on it. Because if it turns out that there is a compromise, you'll only compromise that one wallet. Um, and, you know, it, I, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's almost like it's almost like in in the uh, in the in the IRL world where you have like a fake wallet in case you're like someone someone you know like jumps you you can throw that one away and then you know you get to save you know your most of your thing. it's like it's the digital version of that so that's a good idea for in new. real life yeah, yeah. I need to start carrying two wallets I'll be, I'll be right back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go nah, put all know, my expired <laughs> cards in this other wallet. No, the minty, the minty. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the minting wallet I've never heard of. Like today, I'm, I'm hearing this for the first time. I'm definitely going to go open up a new minting wallet just yeah. for these types of things. Like, because mm-hmm. you're taking a risk like, whenever you connect to a new a new site, and you know you yeah. know how how it can be. Sometimes, sometimes um, in the excitement and the time sensitive nature of the space, like you know things are dropping. We don't always have the luxury of sleeping on a on a on a decision like that. If you want to like get in the mix with minting, and so yeah, you that that's, that's something that I'm I'm you know making that part of my protocols like going forward too is just like have a minting wallet put like an eth on it or whatever and then just you know um it you know it's yeah like you said it, it could be a bit of a, a pain to have to transfer it all that but like so much you know better than than risking everything you've 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 yeah, collected um, i'm about to go disconnect everything from my main wallet right now my <laughs> you know, i'm about to like hang up and just go go do some preventative hygiene I mean, I you guys aren't yeah. getting, you guys aren't doing this right now. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going through the list. <laughs> facts, facts. Never, never you know. know when Matt's aping into a new project. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll be, he'll be so holding stoked. a full conversation with you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's underneath, like doing the keyboard ninja shit. Like, <laughs> and next thing he knows, he's like tweeted about. He's like, "Yo, we love the lemons." You know. <laughs> 
We do love the lemons. <laughs> we do love the lemons. Yes, 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 we do. Um, speaking of safety, I'd love to transition this into a more uh, metaphysical sense, right? Like, let's talk about mental health and let's talk about the challenges of the NFT space. Let's talk about, you know, the 24-7, always on, having FOMO, all these things. And I know, Blake, you and I have had the incredible blessing of hanging out in real life, mm-hmm. right? IRL, we're, we're IRL friends, but you yeah. are IRL friends, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, we've touched on this and something that I, that's always stood out for me every time we hang out it has been your bravery and courage to speak about mental health, right? And like taking ownership of what's going on in your world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to open up the floor. It's not an open question. It's not a question. It's more like a, a as like a theme. I open it up to you. W- what are some of the challenges you think artists are facing uh, from a mental health perspective? What can we do as an NFT community to better address mental health? And like, what's going on in your own journey with mental health? Yeah, you know, um, and this uh, similar how you said it's opening it up more than just you know the direct convo today. I think with uh, artists sharing on social, which, what is it? The iPhone was what, 2009, 2010 social started becoming more art relevant, maybe around 2012 onward, unless you were really into some Zanga, you know, angel city, whatever stuff before that. Um, and ever since then, it's always kind of been just this increasing conversation, not just for artists, but even teenagers today or young folks are so uh, susceptible to other people's uh, attention or critiques or comments or, God forbid, the worst case bullying. And it is just a thing we have to navigate through because it is this no, no longer so much new being, you know, it's been over a third of my life now being in the digital space, but it is something that is not for the faint of heart. And one thing that helped me, um, not on a mental health level, but on a just average, you know, let's say you have no disorders, no nothing, your brain is super chill. And even then you're going to go crazy if you read everything every day. Like even if it's not related to your own artwork, humans aren't meant to digest this much bad news that you see on Twitter or just by going onto freaking Google every day. It's not into our evolutionary path so far because it's so quick of a technological advancement. And so, you know, for myself, I come from a history on one of my parents' side of genetic anxiety. I got really lucky and I got the leveled up Super Saiyan version of panic disorder. Woo. And so I can have a perfectly amazing day. And what that means for me with how it works for my body is I can have zero triggers and then become debilitated for three days. And it's just because my networks aren't firing correctly. And I did get on medication, uh, actually about a couple months into my NFT journey, I did get on medication to, uh, very low to milligrams of Lexapro. I'm not shy, uh, to start balancing it. And it completely changed my life and also, uh, up my weight category. So I can fight Conor McGregor now. And it, <laughs> it is, a, but it, um, you know, everyone it's different. Some folks I know meditate or they work out or they do this or that, but you have to take these times to remember we are still totally organic beings. We need to disconnect. And there is always something doper going on. You are not the dopest human on the planet. I'm not, no one is. So you can create your best friggin' work that you're so proud of. Let that be your highlight for the day. 
let it. Whether you stay online or not, who cares? I'm not your mom. Like you do you, but know what you can handle and what you can't. If you're that person that posts it and then you want to doom scroll because you want to feel something that makes you dissatisfied that because that lights your fire to make the next thing, maybe a little bit of healthy comp- competition within yourself is fine, but know your limits. You know, don't let that trigger a mental collapse or a breakdown or, you know, even a burnout, which every person mm. of any flavor gets. And so it's all about as cheesy as it sounds, finding your way, whether it's literal or not literal, because you can also play a video game. I don't care, but disconnect from the artistic mediums and the social mediums from time to time, at least in how it pertains to sharing your work, because you can become oversaturated and you can drown in the visuals, the technical information uh, why can't I have eight limbs like an octopus and do 20 programs? You can't. There's, you know, it, if we believe by the 10,000 hour rule, everyone's either a generalist or you're a specialist because there's no way to do both. And so you have to be kind to yourself and acknowledge those moments. So, you know, as someone I navigate and even working uh, with you guys back, I think in November, we were chatting quite frequently over some Art Basel stuff. I had to be very transparent because there was a week that I was just completely out of commission because I had really bad panic disorder and it was not because of work or anything. It just, you know, it was the time of the season and that's how it works. And and I want to say that that honesty and that vulnerability, you took ownership. Mm-hmm. right like you weren't trying to be like oh i'm super busy i'm super swamped. like so many different art like it's so yeah. simple to say hey i'm super swamped or i'm super busy or just outright ignore the call like sometimes anxiety in itself and mental health you try to ignore the thing that's pressuring you yeah. right so like what i mean by refreshing is like that bravery and that courage to step forward and speak your truth really helped us navigate that and be like oh no blake yeah okay she's managing this she's dealing with that that's more important than whatever we're building. And it's important for her. So it's important for us. And so Thank we you. were able to meet you at that, at your truth. Right. And I, and I think that that is really powerful. And I just want to acknowledge you for that courage and that bravery. It's really beautiful. Thank you. And, you know, I might be desensitized because it is something that I was born knowing certain family members had it and I just have it on steroids. And so uh, for me, it was always a thing of like, oh, you have to admit it because you just can't function normal when you do. But I know some folks, you know, they keep it really private or closeted because there is sometimes a shame. Like for me, I felt the shame not having panic story, but when I had to get back on medicine, because I dealt with it holistically mm. for like 10 years. And then I couldn't, I just straight up couldn't anymore. And um, it was two and a half months in mid-2020 that I went through daily to three times a day panic attacks because I couldn't get to a doctor because of COVID. So I had to wait for about two months and then they were out of my medicine. So I had to wait another half month to get on that. And after that situation, every day I thought I was dying because that's a very common symptom. And so after that, I was like, screw it. I have no problem never feeling that way again. I would rather have a fraction of this and be honest with other people and them know that they're not less important to me. It's just, I literally am debilitated. And, you know, I always joke that as bad as my situation is, I am very blessed to be stressed instead of depressed because I think depression is even harder. And I think a lot more people go through depression or even depression in conjunction with anxiety than just my situation. And I can imagine it's a lot harder to admit that because it, your brain is not operating on the same wavelength as my brain or a healthy person's brain. So, you know, it's, it's everyone's comfort and honesty level, but at the end of the day, people are very empathetic and people are extremely forgiving. If you can 
just take on the work that is realistic to you. Try to set up the deadlines realistic to you because you can attempt to be a little preventative. So if you know an episode's coming, you can still navigate it. And worst case, there's some small delays and everyone's okay. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to like destigmatize even like the conversation around mental health. It's just something that we're, we're, so many people are dealing with. We're all dealing with on some level. And mm-hmm. um, and I think that, um, you know, this, this space uh, can be so empowering and exciting, but there's a dark side to all that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's very easy to get in your head and it's very easy to compare yourself to others. And, um, you know, it's very easy to, to not get the sleep and the, and the peace of mind yeah. that, that we need to be able to, to operate, you know, in a, in a, in a healthy way. So yeah, well, look, I, I think, uh, as, as we kind of close things out, um, just wanted to give you an opportunity too to speak to the projects you do have coming up and, uh, what's on the horizon for Blake Catherine as we enter, uh, 2022. Oh, so exciting. Such a fresh baby year. Um, yeah. So, well, with you guys and your awesome ass style, uh, we're going to have some work in the Seattle NFT Museum, uh, which is the 14th and 15th. I don't know when this is coming out, but it's this month, folks, January. Uh, and I'll be going up to that, uh, kind of doing a bit of a Q&A with the curators behind it and eating a lot of seafood, I hope. And then <laughs> after that, uh, working on a couple in-progress things for LA uh, Freeze Week or LA Art Freeze Week. I'm trying to think of the proper name here. That's in late February. And then from there, I have a couple collections in the work. Um, they are locked in for April and May, but I'm trying to push some interactive elements. And right now, again, we're so fresh in the space and you, you wonder why video games take like eight years nowadays, because I'm trying to do what I think is really easy. And developers are like, it's going to be so pixelated. And I'm like, this won't work. <laughs> and so right now I'm working on some fun tech collaborations uh, to be sold as personal artworks, uh, but we are pushing it into about mid-year or late spring so that we can make sure that it either works or it still looks sick as hell and we push the tech to a future project. Um, but that's all TBD. So just, you know, pray for me in the development stages. <laughs> Amazing. Well, super exciting to, to see all the progress you've made, everything that you've got planned. I know this could be a very special year. Um, Thank you. And we're super grateful you were able to come join us today. So so keep up the great work, Blake. Thank you so yes. much. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thanks, it's Blake. always a pleasure. Man, well, really enjoyed that conversation. Love getting to kind of riff a little bit on some of the thoughts as far as security and uh, getting that, that wallet, the minting wallet. I think some incredible tips there. Definitely go get a treasure. Wish we had a discount code for you, but we'll probably hit up Trezor after the call and line you up next time. But until then, just Trezor.io, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, Blake is a special talent, doing incredible work in the space. Very excited to see her continue to, to blossom as an artist. Ale, what stood out to you? What really stood out for me, man, was like her commitment to bringing emerging artists to the main, to the main, to the front of the line, to the front of the like collector's visions and so people could actually purchase them and invest in them because like it's so easy like she mentioned it's so easy to always retweet the blue chips and it's always like with the big follows and things of that nature but i love the way that she goes out of her way to find those emerging artists and invest in them in a in a, in a meaningful way man i think it's healthy it's sustainable and i think that's exactly what the what the space needs artists lifting artists you know like I think the line that I really love is like retweets change lives, you know, and I think that's very real. Yeah, no, fully agreed on all that. And, you know, I think she spoke really, um, 
you know, straight to the point and, and really eloquently to mental health and the challenges of being an artist in the space um, and where there's so many moving parts and there's so much going on at once and there are expectations and comparisons and everything. Um, I, I think she, you know, really opened up on that front and I, I applaud her as well for doing that. And I think it's something that uh, is so important and needs to uh, be destigmatized uh, speaking about it. So um, kudos to Blake. 1000%. Well, appreciate you guys, Matt, Alejandro, Blake, but most importantly, our listeners. Without y'all, we wouldn't be here. So thank you every week for, for tuning in, for supporting. Hope you learned something. We'll be back next week. So until then, we out.